0: For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility.
1: thanks for the invitation to come and speak here this morning it 's uh, it's an absolute privilege uh, to be down in Brighton and uh, preaching um, as i 've said to you before, my church beacon in London um, quite recently we made the decision to join with Joel and an emerging group of i suppose churches and leaders are, are kind of gathering together uh, and uh, part of that is new day and um, for those of you who don't know, I've been very involved in New Day for a number of years, and that is one of the reasons why the decision to join with uh, Joel and this group was 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 a lot easier because of the relationships that have been built over the years. We live in historic times. I, I don't want you to miss that. I, I want you to know that these are historic days. They will be written about. In the future, the world is changing. On the 25th of May of this year, there was a scream which I believe was heard in heaven. It was a multi layered scream. It was the scream from George Floyd himself, to be honest, it was tragically a whimper as his life ebbed away from him, but I believe God heard it. It was a scream from the black community. It was deep, a deep cry of pain, anger and frustration at years of oppression. Enough is enough. This cannot continue. From people from other communities, it was a mixture of a cry of pain and anger at racial injustice that they saw before their very eyes. But it was also one of shock. And surprise at the depth of the cry that came out of the black community. In the passage that was read earlier from Genesis 2, it suggests that God hears the cry of the oppressed and he is concerned about them. I'm not suggesting that uh, black people in and of themselves are, are the chosen race. I'm not saying that, but I do see parallels to generational years of oppression and see comfort in the fact that god hears the cry and that he is concerned and that he acts on the behalf of people we have at least not to my memory been in such a moment as we are today where we can address issues of racial injustice and inequality so openly i've never i've never been able to do that before My sincere hope and prayer is we don't withdraw from or move on from this moment too soon, either out of weariness or discomfort. When I say that, I am not talking about the society at large. I am talking about the Church of Jesus Christ, both in its wider and local contexts. My prayer is that the church will be more courageous, more thorough and more humble in its response, seeking to honour the name of Jesus above every other name as we walk through these difficult days together. For the purposes of my talk today, I want to quite simply focus on the, that phrase in that passage that was read from Ephesians, the dividing wall Of hostility, the dividing wall of hostility. Obviously, in relation to the passage specifically, the wall of hostility consisted of many and varied laws and regulations that were designed to keep the Jews separate from others, separate from the Gentiles. The people of God were kept separate from Gentiles in that they couldn't associate with them, they couldn't eat with them. And Jewish men were circumcised as another sign of being separate. On more than one occasion, you read in the New Testament a phrase like, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus, on many occasions, ignored those rules. For example, when he spoke to the woman at the well, she questions, why are you speaking to me? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. On two occasions, Peter is criticised. In Acts 11, he's criticised by the circumcised believers for eating with those who are not Jews, with Gentiles. And then on another occasion in Galatians chapter 2, he's criticised for not eating with um, the Gentiles. When he withdraws from them and, and Paul challenges him to his face because he was afraid of the circumcision group. It's clear that the gospel that Paul preached and believed saw barriers that had been built up and were designed to keep people separate, broken down at the cross of Christ. And in that act, reconciliation and peace comes. That's what the Bible promises. But if we're honest, that is not where we are. That is not where we are. There are barriers of hostility that exist between people groups today. And today I specifically want to address them as they occur between black and white people. I'm aware of a number of barriers that people have simply about engaging with this issue. I've just identified a few that I'm going to mention to you now. The first barrier that we see is what I would call a generational one. It's older people. You know, my dad, my dad's an 86 year old Jamaican. For older people, it can just be harder for them to get their heads round new thoughts, new ideas, new things that that the way that they've been thinking is being challenged after maybe decades. They've thought the same way. Words and attitudes that were acceptable, say, 40 years ago are not so now. As I said, I see it in my dad. He's 86. He's he's Jamaican. He's actually very friendly. He's very warm, particularly around his neighbours and his family. Um, He came over as part of the Windrush generation in the early 60s, suffered real over racism. But today, he and many others of his generation maybe struggle. They stumble over words when it comes to uh, the way things are today. They don't necessarily get it all the time. The Bible gives us guidance on dealing with the older generation that I think we would do well to remember. 1 Timothy chapter 5, it says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. I confess it's not always easy, but I do think it's true. And I do think it's what we should be doing when it comes to the older generation, that we should show grace to them. The second barrier to engage in with these issues that we're dealing with, I think is around personal experience. You may have been on the receiving end of racism or ill treatment yourself. Or maybe someone you love has experienced racism or ill treatment and now you view and understand these things through that lens. Maybe you were bullied at school because of your race, because of the colour of your skin. Maybe you've got dual heritage and you haven't ever felt completely accepted. Or maybe even you're embarrassed of one side of your own background, so you lean entirely into the other. I can see why it might be hard to see past those experiences. I would, however, gently encourage you to shift your lens. If you are a Christian, You are a new creation in Christ and your first identity should now be in him and no other. Think about that. I think there's a third barrier and that's related to other nations and people maybe from other races. Maybe you're from another nation and you feel like you've also been on the receiving end of racism and you're asking yourself the question, isn't that the same? what we're seeing with George Floyd, isn't that the same as what's happened to me? It is a real and legitimate question. However, to be honest, I do believe the black experience is unique. I believe that. The fourth barrier is around history. I think perhaps this is more common than we like to think. With the progress that has been made on issues of race relations Why is it still such an issue? Slavery was abolished centuries ago. We don't force segregation. We don't create obvious barriers to black people who who want to make it. The US had a president who was black. Isn't that a sign that things have changed for the better? I appreciate that for some people, they don't make the direct link between history and today. And without that connection... It can look like what we are seeing is an overreaction. If you don't understand where it's come from, you can simply think, my goodness, these people seem to be overreacting. Hasn't everything changed? It's why some people say all lives matter and not black lives matter. They haven't fully understood the historical context of the situation that we find ourselves in. I want us... I need us to gain common understanding of the uniqueness of the black experience. Difficult as that might be, unless we do, the barriers of hostility that Jesus destroyed between us will remain and we will never come to a place of peace. I want to give you an example from history. I'm not sure that you've ever thought about it like this. But the Second World War was not really about politics, land, or border skirmishes. It was really a race war. Nazi ideology was not just made up on the go, but it was based and grounded in scientific research, which was a recognised scientific discipline, not just in Germany, but across most of Europe, in the UK and the US. It was the science of eugenics. Eugenics was essentially scientific research on the forming of a superior race of people or a master race. They were all researching it. The Nazis took it further, though. In that sense, the Jewish experience in the Second World War was quite unique. That intentional, deliberate attempt to exterminate a race of people, that was unique. It put them, it set them apart. Many people suffered in the war, but the Jews suffered in quite a unique way. So why do I keep saying that the black experience is unique, the unique experience of black people? Black people have for centuries suffered systemic oppression, slavery and rejection at the hands of white people. Not just by racist police officers, as in the case of George Floyd, but by kings and queens, prime ministers, pastors, neighbours and the system. Sadly and tragically, it was perpetuated and justified by scientific research and theological reflection. There are commentaries that you can buy on Amazon today that would still talk about and bring a justification for slavery of black people both here and in the U.S. and other parts of the world. Its impact is a generational one. The emotional and mental state of black people today is directly tied to this unresolved and unacknowledged history. I believe we need honest reflection on history. We need to properly seek to understand it and face it in all its ugliness, and not cut it up into convenient digestible chunks which we justify, i.e. it made sense, or we rationalise, I can explain, or we defend there was a good reason, or we deny it didn't happen that way. There is an unbroken line of racial injustice, inequality and oppression against black people by white people. It runs long and straight between the days of slavery the slave trade to today it is multi-layered and the residue remains with us today in our ordinary everyday lives not just in overt signs of racism but also covert ones invisible ones it might be difficult to hear but I think it's really important if we are to truly find reconciliation and peace at the cross which is what I know we all desire I mentioned just then about the residue of history still being with us. What do I mean by that? The murder of George Floyd and the subsequent events, protests, actions, inactions, attitudes, pain, hurt, apathy and judgmental uh, attitudes made. All has exposed both in the church, among other places, a sign that these things are still with us today. I personally find it sad that some pastors have not been able to to string many words together of comfort or understanding of the situation that black people find themselves in. Sometimes we think because the law has changed, things have changed. Martin Luther King once famously said, legislation may not make you love me, but it does stop you lynching me. It might not change your heart, but it might change your actions. Today, this residue of history remains entrenched in our society. It's never been broken. It's never been properly acknowledged. And there are many ways that it exists. And I just want to highlight three of them. The first is this. There is a residue around what I would call the slave master mindset. And it becomes a point of real tension today when it comes to black people and people in authority. That authority could be in a classroom with a teacher. It could be with a police officer on the streets. Sometimes, it seems to me, authority figures adopt a slave master mindset in the sense that they expect wholehearted, immediate obedience from a black person's two instructions. Obviously, 200 years ago, if you told me to jump, I'd be how high? But things have changed. But if black people are seen to step out of line, sometimes these situations escalate. They lead to violent clashes. They lead to unnecessary arrests. They They lead to unnecessary deaths. I think it's also linked to the disproportionate numbers of black children that get excluded from mainstream schools. The second residue of history, I believe, is white superiority, a white, that kind of mentality. I've just talked about eugenics. Yes, eugenics in many ways has been disproved, but the residue of it still exists, that there is a master race. Many black people will testify to being patronised, looked down upon, treated like less than their white counterparts, othered, as some would say. Sometimes this is so subconscious and subversive that the white person might not even know that it's happening or that they realise they're doing it. But sometimes they are. It doesn't always come out as being completely superior, but definitely being better. Some people will acknowledge it to be true. Others will deny it completely. One of the main ways I believe it plays out is in leadership in predominantly white spaces. Black leaders are more questioned and less trusted in these spaces. A third residue is segregation or or separation. And again, this occurs very subtly, but the results are so obvious. White majority churches are usually welcoming of blacks up to a point. As more blacks join, whites often leave. They talk of taking over. And even when they don't, they still usually socialise separately in their own Groups in our kind of church, I mean this kind of church, relationship is king. that's ultimately how we get stuff done. it's how we make friends, it's how we find new leaders. One of the consequences of this is black people may rarely make it to the positions of leadership of genuine influence and authority, basically because they don't have the relationships with the other key leaders. they're not trusted enough. They end up leading maybe in context way below the level of the leadership gift that they might have. These three areas represent a residue of the past. They represent things that have come down to us. Yes, laws have changed, but hearts don't necessarily change at the same rate. People don't necessarily change in the same way. You need to imagine for a moment the emotional and mental health impact on this generational rejection, oppression and inequality. It needs to be acknowledged. It needs to be dealt with if we are to find true peace and reconciliation at the cross. It's a barrier that needs to come down. There is hope, though. On more than one occasion, Jesus instructs in his parables, um, his instructions or his parables leave the disciples speechless. You remember them saying when he's talking about divorce and marriage, they say, if that is the case between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. Or when the rich young ruler, they're talking about the rich young ruler, um, they say to Jesus after he explains, oh, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Who then can be saved? It's almost like they can't believe some of these things. Jesus' answer is "With, with man, these things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The hope of all true believers in Christ is in the gospel of Jesus. The fact he has made a way and broken down the barriers that bring peace, the outworking of it, I admit, is not straightforward. It's not. But I'd strongly argue God has made a way for it to be here on earth. It's not just about a heavenly reality. It's an earthly reality. We can experience this peace. We can experience this reconciliation now. If you don't believe that, you'll never fight for it. You'll never fight for it. It's too too hard. It's a battle that would take too much if you don't truly believe it in your heart. That God can do this here and now. Despite our sins, despite our mistakes, God has deposited among us. Our kind of church, our group of church, a new generation of believers, quite possibly more diverse than any other group like it. I remember being at the Downs Bible Week as a a teenager, maybe one of five black kids there. New Day last year, maybe six, seven thousand young people, a thousand plus of black. He's deposited among us this hugely diverse group. New Day is more than just a youth event. It's our inheritance. It's our legacy. If we truly come to him in repentance and forgiveness, he has a plan and we can hand a baton onto a next generation. I've been asked a number of times in recent weeks, what are we to leave to the next generation? What are we to bequeath to them? My answer has become really simple. It's a reconciled church. It's a generation, our previous generation restored the church according to New Testament values and New Testament promises and principles. And to some degree that has happened. The church isn't perfect, but it is restored. We are to see the church reconciled according to New Testament values and New Testament principles. We are to see, uh, we are to pass on to the next generation, not a perfect church, but a reconciled one. We are to make more progress on this issue than we've ever seen made before in any other generation of church in history. We are to bring the church to a place where we do find peace uh, among people who are very, very different at the cross. We need to give ourselves to that task above all others. Whatever it is, you do whatever your role is here in this church or the local church that you go to give yourself to the task of the reconciled church bringing peace at the cross whatever that takes however ugly it gets however embarrassing it might appear however discomforting you might feel give yourself to that task for it is the task of our generation it is the task of this age to bring that And who knows what God will do? Who knows what happens in the next generation? Our battle is not to try and foresee their battle. Our battle is to win. Our battle is to win the fight that is before us. And the biggest fight of our generation is to see a reconciled church. God bless you all. Amen.